Hi, good morning. At least it might be morning where you are. I don't know. You might be watching this at night. But I was also wondering that what constitutes a good morning anymore? For me, I guess it's if there's a little bit of sunshine and a lot of hope, that seems like a good morning. But I don't even know how to judge anymore. I wake up in the morning and I don't know what day it is even. I have to look at my um, phone to find out what day is it. I was thinking that because it's Memorial Day weekend, I really wish that I had the word vacation written somewhere on my calendar, like it used to be at this time of year, just so I would know that there was going to be one day different than the next because it would be a vacation. But it's truly a vacation. I'm doing a lot of the things that I'm already doing now. You know, one of the things that we have a farm and we have some trails around the farm and people come and visit and they go walking and sometimes they get lost. So what I've done is I've put some blue ribbons around all of the trees so that you can tell where the path is. And what I've learned is I can't put those far apart. I have to put them so that um, you can see them the next one from where you're standing or else people freak out a little bit. They have to see the very next one to just know they're on the right path, even though there's nowhere else to go but on this path. They have to be able to see the next one. And I feel like that is kind of what we're living through now with um, these anchors that we have from Christ Church, maybe with um, the Almost Daily Devotional with Paul in the morning and our worship on Sunday. We do have a couple, you know, women's Bible studies and youth groups and things like that. But just being able to see the next thing is is very comforting in a way because we're lost in this kind of miasma of grayness that has no name to it. Um, I've been thinking of it as kind of a malaise of the soul. Um, John Stott, the Anglican priest and theologian, talks about this, like the diagnosis of this malaise of the soul. But he says it all comes down to fear, that um, if you boil down all of our fears, they come into three. Uh, the first one is fear of people. The second one is fear of future. And the third one is fear of death. And this pandemic has all three of those wrapped up into one. And what it's created, I think we could name it anxiety that has created anxiety. Um, and so I've asked a couple of our church members if they could help me locate the locus of this present anxiety, like how to put some words to it, because we're all feeling it, this kind of untetheredness um, as at the same time, something's kind of coming at us and trying to understand our feelings in that. So these are some of the comments that people made about that. Um, will I be able to handle what life looks like when this is over? Another person said, I'm concerned if the world will be more loving and kind, or will we become selfish and vindictive? Another one said, every time I go out to the grocery store or another place, I'm afraid that I've gotten infected, or possibly that I am one of the unknowing carriers of this virus. Closer to home, some people were wondering if the Christ Church choir will ever sing again. Or what if my favorite restaurants or stores can't make it through the pandemic? What will it look like to live in Charlottesville then? Also, what if everything gets so political that we can't solve this problem? Or my spouse and I are older. We could possibly die from this virus. My job may not survive until next month, or maybe I've already lost my job. What will I do then? There are just so many what ifs that are vying for our attention and 
wanting us to provide answers and solutions when clearly, clearly there are none. The anxiety is knowing that there is a threat and knowing that we are powerless to do anything about it. So as to whether or not the pandemic will cure us of self-centeredness or fear, I would just categorically say not. The definition of sin is self-centeredness, and it is fear that can turn us in on ourselves and away from God and away from other people, get judgmental about other people because we're feeling very fearful. A pandemic cannot cure sin. It can expose it and make it visible, but it cannot cure it. And at the same time, the light is also exposed and more visible as we're gathering, gathering together and giving and supporting. But just as hurricanes and floods are part of nature, so are viruses and diseases. Death and life are always juxtaposed in our daily lives. So I, I was looking at our text this week, especially the one from 1 Peter, um, and it talks about anxiety. And to be honest, when I looked it up and saw that it was in the Greek, I was a little surprised because I thought the word anxiety was a modern word, that we had made that up in our lifetimes, but apparently not. And I looked it up, and the word in Greek, um, anxiety, means dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. That sounds about right. I feel like I'm in parts now. Do you feel like you're in parts? One part of you is camped out in the I trust God, I have faith camp, and the other one is running for the exits, trying to figure out how to get out of here. It is a great definition of what it means to experience the suffering of the world while holding on to faith. You know, early Christians had anxiety. There were plagues and wars, diseases, slavery, tyrants, starvation, lack of clean water, just to name a few things that could give you anxiety. We seem to have this idea, though, that once we're Christians, we shouldn't have any pain or suffering that if we were only good believers, we will not have any problems. But that's a false notion because Jesus Christ suffered to the point of death, as did all of his disciples. Dark times are part of life. Belief is about trust. It's not a bargain of good behavior for a trouble-free life. So John 16 tells us, in this world you will have trouble. So in our text in 1 Peter today, it tells us to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's very comforting, isn't it? And it was very good news for me. When we look at the word cast, it actually means to forcefully throw, to throw. It doesn't say lay down or surrender or turn over. It says to throw your anxiety on him, to get rid of it, to quit carrying it around, quit carrying around that heavy burden of anxiety, that worry about the future, worry about death, worry about other people, entertaining those what ifs for hours and days to forcefully give it to him. So Pastor Kim, Tim Keller says that we think somehow that it's blasphemous or discourteous to be mad at God, to express our anxiety, to throw our anxiety and fear to him. We believe that to be faithful, we cannot voice our true feelings to God. You know, this is the difference between living a life of only law, hoping that we are following the rules and therefore pleasing God so that we will not suffer, 
or accepting the grace of relationship with Christ that invites our true self to be expressed. You know, if you had a relationship where you could never say that you were mad or discouraged or frustrated or disappointed, what kind of relationship would that be? Wouldn't be an authentic one. Wouldn't be a true one where you could share yourself and hear about the other. So God wants to know your heart. God wants a real relationship with you. And like a good heavenly parent, God yearns to hear from you and to be with you, to lean into, to listen to your true feelings and your experience of whatever's happening. Your relationship with God is not a game to figure out, but a relationship to be lived together. So throw what you've got at him. He can take it. Jesus Christ is the only one who was ever created to not be self-centered, and he cares for you. That's why he wants to know how you're feeling. He's not just thinking about himself, but he's thinking about you. He cares for you. So in that John 16:33 quote, Christ also says, "In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world." You know, this pandemic will not cure us of our self-centeredness because it is not our savior. Christ is our savior because he has overcome the world. Any love you can give to the world came from him and through him. Any saving that will be done will be done only by him. Will you be able to handle the new normal when it comes? No, you won't, but Christ will. Will the choir sing again? Well, Jesus said, if they are silent, even the rocks will cry out. What if I die? What if my job ends? What if everything is different? Cast all of these what ifs on him because he cares. And he will listen to you, to be with you, and hold you in his everlasting arms. Because your Savior, Jesus Christ, cares about you, has concern for you, has not left you here alone, but has walked before you into a future not yet realized, not yet seen, and come back to assure you that he cares so much that he suffered once and for all that you will not be enslaved by these fears and anxieties, but can cast them onto him. You know, another parishioner shared with me that Tosh Silver, the author of Outrageous Openness wrote, we relentlessly scan the world saying, is this my destination? Can I lay my burdens down now? Am I safe? Can I let go? And Martin Luther assured us, but you must cast both your heart and your care upon God's back, for he has a strong neck and shoulders and can well carry them. And moreover, he bids us cast them upon him the more that he is pleased, for he promises that he will bear your burden for you and everything that concerns you. And in these overcast days, when you can't even get a vacation from your anxieties, Know that today he loves you and he cares for you. Cast it on him. He can take it. Amen.